Pleasure to welcome back Paul Mann, who's returning from his sabbatical. Um, it should be very good. He's had three months to prepare. It's really good to be back. Really, really good. Um, that worship I've been missing. Wasn't it amazing? Just, just to connect with Jesus in that way to, um, and to be honest, it's nice going to other places. So I visit, I'll tell you a little bit about sabbatical in a minute. It's nice going to other places, but there's nothing like worshipping with family. There's nothing like gathering with family and just enjoying um, worshipping him together. Um, I've got a confession to make. First Sunday back, and uh, at the end of the worship, I went out for a quick wee before I preached. And... Just in case some of you didn't notice that, that's, you know, I just went for a wee. But I'm, I missed what Andrew shared, but I think I just caught the end of it. Um, it says in Psalm 34, verse 18, and I just feel God wants to speak to some of you right now, um, just through this one, this one verse. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed spirit. And just for some of you here this morning, the brokenhearted, those that feel like your spirit has been crushed, God is very close to you today. He cares for you. You have a father in heaven. And he promises he will provide everything you need for today. He will not lead you into a day where he hasn't given you the resources to get through it. And his promises are new every morning. And so you wake up tomorrow morning facing maybe same challenges or different ones. He will give you everything you need for tomorrow as well. Because he's a good father. Because he's a good God. We were singing that. That's where we started at the very beginning. Therefore, his goodness overflows into daily provision for you. Amen? Amen? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Wow. Now, it's so, it's so good to be back. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, after a couple of months of being on sabbatical, I, I, was, I, I was looking back thinking, oh no, two months has gone. I've only got one month left. It's sort of seen a really rush through. Um, but about that sort of time, Chloe said to me, um, I think it's about time you go back now. So... <laughs> I, I think she meant it in a good way that I was ready to go back rather than she was ready for me to go back. But I think that was the case, actually. I've been, I've been looking forward to um, getting back, being back in the office, being back with the team. I've really been looking forward to being here on Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to 7am next week, praying. They are stunning prayer meetings. They are, they are among definitely the best times we have each and every week. They are, are brilliant. Um, so as far as sabbatical goes, I mean, we, we had some really good family time. 
we, we went away a number of times. Um, myself and Chloe got a few days away, which was really, really nice. We went up and saw Santino and Emma um, up in Manchester. Had the weekend with them. They're doing so well. Um, only disappointment was I went up there and Sam was preaching. I thought, you know, might have got something out. But he was, he was absolutely brilliant. They settled in so well. Um, we've just spent... Uh, 12 days in France as well on holiday. Um, we had our normal family arguments uh, rowing down the Dordogne, um, as we are the only family on there that seems unable to row in a straight line, um, and everyone else seems to be able to sort of straight down, particularly the Dutch. The Dutch are particularly good at rowing in straight lines, we've noticed. Um, in perfect unity, perfect timing. I wonder if they go to training before they go on holiday, just so they can, they can do that when they arrive. It's been really nice just having evenings in, um, just been great to sort of, whatever I've been during the day, just to be around um, in the evenings, and I found that really, really refreshing. Um, I, had, I had plans before I went away to do some grand project at home. You know, I was going to make grand designs pale into insignificance compared to what I had plans to do. But after a couple of weeks, I resized my ambitions to something more um, helpful. And I came to the conclusion the boys really just play football in the garden. So if I can make, the gar- if I can make a bit more grassed area, that would be good. So we thought we'd get rid of the trampoline. We're going to get rid of some decking. The only flaw in my plan was I forgot that when I put the decking in, I put it in for a reason because there's lots of concrete under it. So I took the decking up, and, and you, know, I, I, you know, I don't like to drop Chloe in it, but I had a modest plan, and Chloe said, well, why don't you just move the steps, and why don't you just do a little bit more, and it will really gain the benefit. But, you know, how was she to know there were three, four really big concrete steps under there that need breaking up, and we needed to get a skip in to take all of the concrete away? Um, but it was good for my sanctification, um, and it was good for my humility when I rang Steve Bacon up and Nick Beanie and said, I'm stuck. <laughs> I can't move this concrete anymore. Can someone else come in and uh, help me? And they did in half an hour what would have taken me about five days. But anyway, <laughs> um, we'll we move on quickly past that. But I do, I do feel really rested and refreshed. I'm so thankful to you for releasing me to be able to do that. Um, I particularly enjoyed um, just sort of times of study, devotional times. I didn't do Romans in the end. I looked at Philippians and Colossians. And if I'm honest, it just did my soul good. I think God spoke to me more through my, in my own devotional times than he did through different conferences I went to or different speakers I heard, if I'm honest. Church, in some ways, there isn't anything better than opening your Bible asking the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you and allowing him to illuminate the Bible and lead you into all truth. Just strengthen my soul, um, stretch my mind, provoke me about wrong attitudes. Also had some leadership coaching, which was really good. Um, I think it's been helpful, but with this sort of thing, you never know until you put it into practice. So I, I feel freshly equipped. 
I feel freshly um, prepared for this new season we're going into as we go from one church with two meetings into one church with four venues. And all the different challenges that we're going to face on the back of that, um, I feel uh, freshly ready for that. I feel um, educated. Um, I feel provoked in the whole area of leadership and management. So that was really, really um, helpful. I wrote some papers on prayer, discipleship um, and vision. I read about the method, the start of the Methodist movement. Read a great book on that, which was again very provoking, very stirring about how that did happen. And then I've gone on and read about the Salvation Army. And what I didn't realise was a couple of hundred years ago, the Methodists were like groundbreaking. They were, they, they were, they were really blazing a trail through John Wesley and Whitfield and, and, and uh, his brother Charles Wesley, really making an incredible difference. But a hundred years later, it was the Salvation Army that came out of the Methodist church because it had lost its way. And how we mustn't take for granted what God has given to us. We've got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Keep open to the Holy Spirit. Keep obeying what it says in this book. Committing ourselves to one another. Passing what one generation has got on to the next generation. It is so important. Otherwise, you can lose it. You can lose what God has done. Um... Outside, I visited a whole load of other churches. So Hope Church Winchester, I went to St. Helens Church down the road. King's Church Eastbourne, I did two of their meetings um, in one morning. I did uh, King's Lewis, King's Horsham, Eastgate Gravesend, Vine Life Manchester, and I loved it all. I really did. People were so warm, so welcoming. Loved my time with the guys down at St. Helens. Really, really lovely. But I came, came back thinking, there's no place like home. There isn't anywhere I'd rather be. I know that I don't want to sound all mushy, you know, but genuinely just thought, and, and then coming and being here this morning, just thinking, oh, wow. Ah, oh, brilliant. Um, uh, did a couple of conferences that were good. Spent a day with Angela Kem. Do you remember Angela Kem was with us last year? Um, so I spent a day with her, which was provoking, it was stimulating, it was challenging, it was really, really good. She's going to be back with us early in the new year. So we plant the Bexhill venue at the end of January, and Angela Kem comes beginning of February. Okay, So just date in the diary, um, we'll try and let you know what that date is. She's going to be with us for the weekend, it's going to be a really good time. Um, and the other thing I just want to say is I had some outstanding times at Ashburnham. Um, I'm just looking around to see if I can find, there's Aidy at the back, I mean Aidy's one of the directors at Ashburnham, he's on the PA desk at the moment, so why don't you just turn around and give him a wave. I mean he's a real blessing to us as a church, I mean he serves every month on PA, um, plays bass as well, I know he's just really eager to get stuck in and make a difference. Hannah um, often sort of co-leads worship at the front as well. Um, you've got Nick and Anna as well out there. You've got Adam and Michelle. And I, I suppose I just want to say, they, they really blessed me. They made me feel part of the family at Ashburnham. I got a free lunch every day I was out there, which was also, which was also a bonus. But just the, just the opportunity to use the library, walk around the lake, be in the press centre. My sabbatical wouldn't have been what it was if it hadn't been for their incredible generosity. 
And uh, any of you guys that were out at Ashburnham, you just know for the camp, just know how good the facilities are. So I just wanted to say that publicly because they were brilliant. They've got great tea rooms you could go out and visit after you've had a coffee with us here. Um, But also some great facilities as well. So uh, just to say, yeah, a real thank you to them. I think, just as I finish up on this little bit, uh, just to say, I think I come back refreshed, um, re-envisioned, excited for the future, um, recharged. I think Alfie, where are you, Alfie? Alfie brought a couple of prophetic words just um, as I was going on sabbatical. One was actually about looking at Philippians, not Romans. And if I was honest, it was on the, the first morning, I opened my Bible on Romans and just felt God saying, what are you doing looking at this? You know, so I looked at Philippians, just felt, you know, sometimes you hear that in a sort of a prompt. And then he also said that I was going to go not just, it was in a prayer meeting, he said, Paul, you're not just going for a recharge, you're going for an upgrade. You know, like a mobile phone? Sometimes you just plug it in for a recharge, other times you plug it in and there's an upgrade. And... I think there's a sense that that through the three months and what God's been doing, a a sense of an upgrade. Well, you can, you know, you can let me know over the coming months, but that is the that is the sense as well that I feel um, that has happened. Now, I really want to preach this morning. I'm going to, and we're going to get stuck in. We're going to look at the Bible together. We're going to finish in good time because we're going to break bread together and we're going to pray for one another and we're going to do some life together. Is that all right? Excellent. So if you're at Ashburnham, can anyone remember what the theme of Ashburnham was, the camp last week? Make a difference. So what do you reckon the title for my preach is this morning? Make a difference. So if you have got your notebooks and you're taking notes or you're writing on your iPad, top of it, make a difference. If you've got your Bibles, and I encourage you to bring your Bible... In some ways, the good old-fashioned paper ones are always helpful to bring because you can't surf the internet on them, okay? No chance for distraction, no chance for text messages popping up or anything like that. You can just put your phone down under your seat, turn it off, full concentration, ears open to see what the Holy Spirit wants to say, and you can read your good old-fashioned paper Bible if you want to. But I would recommend it. They're very, very good. So, did I say what passage we're looking at? No, okay, I knew that. So we're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. So that's in the Old Testament. It's before Chronicles. It's after 1 and 2 Samuel. Um, it's before, um, before Psalms. It's after Genesis. <laughs> Look at that for an upgrade, eh? Do you know what I mean? You're impressed, I can tell. My biblical knowledge is, uh, has gone from strength to strength. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you that your mercy endures and it goes from one generation to the next. I pray would you freshly anoint me right now as I give out the, uh, the bread that I have, I pray you'd multiply it. I pray it bring sustenance to people's souls. I pray it would provoke our thinking. I pray you'd come and have your way. I ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, verse 1 of chapter 17, 1 Kings. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, 
who was the king of Israel at that time, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Cool. That's, a, that's quite a statement. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here, turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You should drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook, and after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Here we find a national confrontation about to take place. Elijah, who is sort of like a real Old Testament prophet, and we don't read anything about him before verse 1 here, comes and confronts wicked King Ahab and says, it's not going to rain anymore. Until I speak again, there will be no rain. Now, generally, that would be quite a good gift to have when we go on the Ashburnham camp, wouldn't it? You know, Even if it only lasts for three days, that would be quite good. It says about Ahab in chapter 16, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab was a wicked king and he had led Israel into Baal worship. Baal was the god of a neighbouring nation and he was the god of fertility. He was the god of rain, he was the god of harvest, he was the god of fruitfulness. And under Ahab's leadership he had led Israel off to worship another god. Complete affront to the true king. The true king of kings, the true lord of lords, the one who had led them out of Israel, who had safely established them in the land of Israel, who had provided everything they needed, but they'd now gone off to worship this idol who is no God. And Elijah says, it's not going to rain. You've turned to worship this Baal, this God, the God of fertility, the God of rain. Well, we see how much a God he is. Because the one true God has just said it's not going to rain anymore. And it doesn't matter how much you worship Baal, nothing is going to turn that around until the one true God speaks and brings change. A national confrontation, a spiritual confrontation. Then Elijah goes off and he hides himself because after a couple of months, Ahab's going to realise that everything that Elijah had said was true and was going to go looking for him. So he hides himself until the brook of Cherith dries up. Then it says in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, Oh, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord, the God li- as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
The jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Elijah goes to Zarephath, which is outside of Israel. So he goes from inside Israel to outside of Israel. God says that a widow is going to feed him. Now, widows in that society would have been the most needy, among the most needy within that society. So when a time of drought came, when a time of need came, it was going to hit the widows first. It would hit the orphans first. But God says, go to her. And Zarephath was situated in the heartland of Baal worship. This wasn't on the outside. This was right in the middle of where Baal worship originated from and was at its strongest. Once he gets there, he sees a widow gathering sticks. He asks for a bit of water. Then he asks her for bread. And at this point, it starts to go even more downhill. Because she says, I don't have any bread baked. And I've got a little bit of flour. I've got a little bit of oil. And I was just about to make a small cake of bread for me and my son. And when we've eaten it, we're going to lay down and we're going to starve to death. We're going to die. We don't have anywhere else to go and get food. Elijah isn't put off. He says, well, make a cake for me first and then for your family. And as we've read in the story, this incredible miracle occurs that as she does this first, day after day, week after week, Month after month, year after year, for two and a half years, the flour doesn't run out and the oil doesn't come to the end. I mean, there is this incredible miracle that takes place. I just want to raise, I want to bring up four simple points for us to consider together. They're not about Elijah, they're about the widow. Because I believe that God wants to speak to us prophetically from the story of the widow here. So I've got four very simple points. The first one is this. God uses weak people and difficult circumstances. God uses weak people and difficult circumstances. Neither your weakness nor your circumstances disqualify you from being fruitful for God. There isn't a set of circumstances you can be in that can put you in a place where you cannot be fruitful for him unless you're deliberately choosing sin rather than his way. Then you can be very unfruitful and mess it all up. But if you are looking to follow him, there isn't a set of circumstances which will make you unfruitful. There were definitely more able people around than this widow. I mean, the middle class family down the road with a double stable and a big field with all that corn growing or whatever it might have been, all the supplies they had. I'm sure there were better people in Zarephath for for Elijah to go to than this widow. But God picked this widow out and said, I want to use you. 
She was in a terrible set of circumstances and she was incredibly weak at a whole number of levels. But neither of those things disqualified her from usefulness for God. In fact, God often finds his opportunity in our weakness. It's often when we feel the most vulnerable and unable to contribute that God turns up in a way and uses us that completely blows our mind and gives him the glory. You read it in the New Testament time and time again. God uses weak people to display his glory. The second point, God asks us to use what we have. Elijah didn't ask for a roast dinner with all the trimmings. She had a little oil, a little flour, enough for one meal, enough for today. And that's what God asked for. I mean, it must have come, mustn't it, at an incredible cost. How does she make that choice? How does she make that decision? Too many of us, church, I love you guys loads, but too many of you write yourselves off. You say that you aren't spiritual enough. You're not clever enough. I'm not bold enough. I'm not able But God is interested in what he has given you to use that for his glory, for his name to be glorified. What have you got in your hand? Jesus told the parable of the talents, didn't he? Five talents, two talents, one talent. What did they they have to do? They had to invest what they'd been given. It wasn't about how much you had, it's investing what you have been given. I remember um, a preacher called Matt Partridge coming and speaking at our church many years ago. And he told us a story of a school teacher who was in a very fractious and difficult um, staff room. There was a lot of resentment, a lot of friction, and she just asked God, how can I change this situation? What can I do to make a difference? And after she prayed, what she noticed was some of the friction was caused by the fact there was never any milk in the fridge. People were very happy to use it in their tea and coffee, but no one ever wanted to buy it. And so she just decided, felt prompted in God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to always make sure there is milk in the fridge. I'm not going to make a rotor. I'm not going to ask people to put money in a pot. I'm going to buy it. And I'm always just going to make sure that there is milk in the fridge and anyone can use it. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to worry about it. This is how I can serve my colleagues. What she found was as she invested a little by just putting milk in a fridge, she started to see the atmosphere in the staff room transformed. People asking her, why are you doing this? Why doesn't it bother you to do that? And it's amazing how little things that God can prompt us to do can transform situations and circumstances. I remember when I was on India on training for a year, living with six other guys, and we did get under each other's skin quite a bit. I can remember God just saying to me, Paul, whenever you make a cup of tea, make sure you offer everyone else one. I think I've told this story before. And there was one big cup in, in the cupboard, and all the others were really little cups. 
and make sure you give the big cup of tea to someone else and you have a little cup. Just serve, just give away. It did my heart good. I don't know how much it changed the circumstances, but it certainly changed my heart towards the other trainees. What have you got in your hands? So often, Christians, so so often, friends, we can be looking to get out of difficult circumstances when God wants us to transform them. God does the third point. God doesn't ask for a natural response, but a faith-filled supernatural one. Why does he ask for that? Because we're not just flesh and blood. We aren't just a natural people. We are a supernatural people who have been born again. I am united to Jesus Christ. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Emmanuel, I have been grafted into him and I have been set apart for fruitfulness. So when I face dead circumstances, I don't need to respond in a natural way, in an expected way. In actual fact, I am called to respond in a supernatural, faith-filled way because that is who I am. That is my identity. But all too often... We just respond like all the people around us, don't we? All our colleagues are moaning. So we sort of just drift into it. It's not who we are. You know, think about it for a minute. Well, not for a minute because we haven't got that long. But think about it. The widow shouldn't have given away all she had. It went against all wisdom. And it certainly probably went against parental instinct. Can you imagine Last meal. And this wouldn't have been a big meal. This would have been a little meal because if you're facing starvation, your food portions get smaller and smaller and smaller because you're making, trying to make them last. I mean, that is not a natural response to feed Elijah first. And anyway, wasn't it Elijah who prophesied the drought? I don't know if the widow knew it, but if I did, I'd be telling him, look, forget about my bread, I'll keep that. You prophesy a bit of rain, then we could have a deal going here. Don't you come to me moaning you've got no bread. You prophesied the rain. It's your fault or no rain. And isn't there a saying, I'm sure it comes from sort of ancient Syria, Israel or something like that. Doesn't there a saying, ancient saying about charity beginning at home? I hope, that's none of, I hope none of you have adopted that into your principles. Because it's not Christian. Think about it, a man from a different nation goes to a woman who has got nothing. No, a refugee from another nation goes to a woman who has got nothing and asks for food. And what does this dear Lebanese Syrian woman do? What does she do? Not out of plenty, not out of a food mountain. Not out of a big EU surplus, out of a little thing of flour and a little pot of oil, this beautiful Syrian Lebanese woman feeds this refugee. Wow. You know, God's really not interested in national borders. He didn't put them there in that sense, I don't think. He's not worried about colour of our skin, our cultural differences, he looks at us and says, men, women, children, created in my image. 
how I love them. Oh, I think there's so much in this story just to challenge our, our attitudes at the moment to how we're facing what is going on in the world. Charity begins at home. I don't know. Some of you are probably thinking, cool, I wish I had a six-month sabbatical. (laughs) Sermon on the Mount. You read Sermon on the Mount. That's not a natural response. That is a supernatural, faith-filled response that's needed if you're going to see that fulfilled. But also, let's just earth it back down. What was the supernatural response? A widow feeding a stranger. Wow. She didn't raise the dead. She didn't preach and see 2,000 people saved. She didn't bring this incredible prophecy. She didn't have angelic visitations. She fed a stranger and opened the floodgates of heaven. Wow. We can do that. I can do that. You can do that. Not much left in my cupboard, not many resources, not much training, but I can do that. And lastly, God provides. Even in the heartland of Baal worship, God is in charge. He is still on the throne and he still does just what he wants when he wants. And that is exactly the same for us. Our workplaces are not out of his reach. Our family situations are not too difficult for him. But what he's looking for is for us to co-labor with him. As we go to Bex Hill, what's going to make a difference isn't Steve, Andrew and Laurie. It's you as you go to Bexhill, using what you've given to serve the purposes of God, bringing his kingdom into your everyday situations. It's the same when we go to St. Leonard's. It won't be John and Alan, a few others. It will be the whole team. As you use what God has put in your hands, respond in a supernatural, faith-filled way. And it might be by giving a meal to a stranger when no one else would that will have more impact than prophecies and angelic visitations, not to say we don't want them as well. What have you got in your hand? The oil and the flour increased. I love this. This was from Matthew Henry. The oil and the flour increased in the spending and not in the hoarding. The widow didn't say, fill up the jar of oil, then I'll spend it. She spent it and then God replenished it. What have you got? Use what you've got today for his name, for his glory, and he will replenish it to you. Use what you have. Can I invite the band back up, please? Now, some of you may be sat here today and you're thinking, well, I've always thought of myself as a poor widow. That, that isn't really what I'm trying to emphasise. What I'm saying, actually, is that God wants to use us all. Right the way around. Every single one of us is useful in God's hands. Because it's God who provides. It's because he who makes the difference. He's the one that produces the fruit. It's not us. We use what we have been given. It says in John 15 verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You didn't choose God. He chose you. 
And you've been appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and fruit that should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Colossians 1 verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. You have been designed for fruitfulness. You've been designed to make a difference. I wonder if God has placed you just where he's placed you because you are uniquely skilled and gifted to bring change and transformation to that place. To be salt, to be light, to shine for him. There's a prophetic mandate upon us as a church, as a body together, to make a difference. But that happens as we individually pick up what God has done and respond as this incredible widow has done. What's in my hands? What can I give? Why don't we stand? Wondered if you'd repeat this prayer after me. Is that okay? You okay to repeat a prayer after me? Excellent. Lord Jesus, thank you that I am rich because I'm joined to you. Today I give myself to you again to follow you as Lord. All that I have is yours. Please use me for the extension of your kingdom. And the glory of your name. Speak to me, Lord. Make me aware of how I can change dark places. Grow my faith to expect more from you. I love you, Jesus. I am yours. Amen. What we're going to do is I just want to finish by breaking bread together. I would love us to take the bread and the wine to um, celebrate what Christ has done and even some of the stuff that we've picked up from the worship earlier just as we celebrated everything that he achieved on the cross. But I also want it to be a family time. I want it to be a time where we pray for one another to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. I want it to be a time where we pray for one another as we go back out. School teachers, could you just put your hands up? You're going right back out onto the cutting edge this week. I want to pray that you would shine like bright stars, that you would be salt, making a difference. So if you notice someone put their hand up around you, introduce yourself, go and pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and a mighty blessing as they go back into the classroom situation. I think Janair and the band, you're probably just going to sort of lead a little bit on the quieter end just so people can pray, minister to one another. We do this for just probably... No longer than five minutes and then we're going to close up. Is that okay? So the bread and wine is in the middle and at the edges. If you're not a follower of Jesus, don't take the bread and wine because it doesn't mean anything to you. But if you love Jesus, even if you're not part of this church, you just enjoy this meal with us. 
we'd be privileged if you take it as we remember Christ and all he's done for us. Let's go do that. Thank you.
If you um, just pause your prayers for a moment, Nick's just got a bit of a picture that I think fits in so well, just as we close. As you know, many of you, just over a year ago, I, um, I did a whole load of work for Coastal Currents. I um, did a whole load of paintings. Joe, I remember Joe asking me, and uh, I hadn't painted for 15 years since I was at college. I'd laid it all down thinking, well, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. And I remember the day Joe came and she just said, have a think about it. And I, my instant reaction was no. I went to Ashburnham and uh, I felt God say, do you know what? You need to, you need to do it. And um, I was afraid, reject, feel like I could be rejected. You know, you lay, you lay it all out there when you're painting and you're showing stuff that you've created. But the picture I had was, as I got in my shed, there's a drawer. I've got loads of drawers. And in this one drawer were all my old oil paints. They'd sat in a drawer for 15 years. The lids had stayed on. The oil was still there. The colors were all there. And I remember opening the drawer up and I remember the bringing them up here and laying them all out and, and I felt God really speak to me. And maybe some of you, you feel like you've got stuff that God's given you, but you've let it sit in a drawer for 15 years. Maybe you've let it just, you've neglected it, you've not wanted to use it, too afraid to even use it because you feel like maybe you're going to be a bit out of control. And I had to step through a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and had to believe God was in it because I, I just knew that I couldn't do it unless God was with me. And I remember him and I just did all these paintings and all the paintings that I did had sat in those tubes for 15 years. The colours were there. And I remember painting them and, and all the things that maybe I should have walked in 15 years ago started coming out onto the canvas. And God started putting new oils together. I remember bringing new oil with the old oil and everything coming through. And since that day, I can honestly say, in that year since then, my life has really gone on with God. I think my past experience is really, for 15 years, I've been dissatisfied, disenchanted, disillusioned with the church, with God, because I'd left my stuff in the drawer. But God doesn't call you to leave your stuff in the drawer. He wants you to get your stuff out. And I think there's some people here that need to respond to that. But I'll leave that to Paul. Excellent. Well done. Sometimes the rawness of people sharing like that unlocks our own hearts. Nick's going to be here. If I could ask ministry team to come as well. But if you'd like to respond to that as we close, just come to the front. And I know Nick would really like to pray for you. Believing even as you do that, that response, that physical response of coming out, unlocks something in God as well. We're going to finish it up there. But church isn't finished. It's just we're pausing. We're now going for coffee. We're going to hang out, spend time together. Um, Enjoy that. Have a great week and we will see you soon.